Welcome to Turf Dudes, show number 32. Oftentimes, grass seed is viewed as a commodity without much appreciation for how a new variety is developed and eventually planted on a golf course, sports field, or lawn. Mountain View Seeds Division Manager Aaron Kinsey and Director of Agronomy Dr. Greg Munshaw are uniquely positioned within the seed industry to provide insight into the process which new varieties must go through to become commercially available, why complete quality control from the farmer all the way to the end user is so important to producing a quality playing surface, and insight into current seed pricing dynamics. For these reasons, we're excited to have these guys on the show. My name is Dr. Jeff Atkinson, and I'm joined as always by Dr. Raymond Snyder. For the first time today, we're also joined by Harold's newest member of the Turf Dude team, Dr. Paul Giadorno. We serve as directors of agronomy for Harold's. We hope that today's episode will provide a better appreciation for the work that goes into developing and producing quality seed, while also introducing you to two leaders within Harold's Bentgrass Seed Partner, Mountain View Seeds. Enjoy the show. Uh, so with that, guys, thanks for joining us today. Uh, Aaron and Greg, we appreciate you guys' partnership. We appreciate you guys' uh, time and investment in Harold's and our relationship so far. And to get us started today, why don't you guys just introduce yourself? Um, Greg, why don't you go first? And then Aaron, you tell us a little bit about your different roles within the company. Sure. Uh, my name is Greg Munshaw. I am the director of agronomy for Pratham Seed uh, Companies, which includes Mountain View Seeds, which uh, we proudly uh, sell through Harold's. And uh, in this role, I'm, I'm very involved with uh, research that's going on with universities, uh, private testing agencies, testing on our own. And uh, we have uh, recently acquired a 20 acre property to uh, convert into a research property for the company so we can start testing uh, new grasses products on our own. So we're really excited about that. My name is Aaron Kinsey. I am the division manager for Pratham Seed Company, which is the parent company of Mountain View Seeds. So that uh, includes you know, obviously the operations and uh, from a day-to-day level with Mountain View, and been doing that now for about eleven years. And very, yeah, very thankful for the partnership we've had with Harold, and look forward to growing the business together with you guys. Well, appreciate it, guys. From that perspective. From the Pratham Seed Company and Mountain View Seeds, can you guys give us a little bit of the history of the company? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'll take a stab at it, Greg. If I miss anything, go ahead and jump in. But um, so Mountain View was started back in 1998, and it's owned by Pratham. And Pratham is a actually a grower cooperative. So today, there's over 300 farmers that own or part of uh, Pratham and uh, in essence own Mountain View Seed. Um, we expand or we, our footprint, I guess, is in the Pacific Northwest. So um, all around Oregon and into Washington as well. Uh, primarily, you know, the major crop obviously in the in our area is grass seed. Uh, the co-op does include other things like berries and other crops as well, but primarily it's a grass seed uh, agricultural co-op. So um, and in 98, that co-op decided after a lot of the farmers that grow for us or, or part of that co-op were looking for somebody to market their seed. In other words, the crop that they're producing. So Mountain View was formed to be that marketing entity to market the, the farmer's crop. Um, so that's when it was formed in 1998. And since then, I guess when we got started, it was primarily um, kind of in that southwest overseeding market. You know, a lot of perennial ryegrass into that marketplace. That's perennial ryegrass was the primary crop that those uh, co-op members grew. 
And obviously it's expanded from there into just about every cool season turf crop, tall fescues, bent grasses, fine fescues. Um, and in 2007, a major, another major thing that we did, we went out and started up Peak Plant Genetics. So that's our genetics company that develops and does a lot of research on new varieties and brings helps us bring new varieties to the marketplace. Uh, Peak works with people like Rutgers, North Carolina State, um, you know, to do some of these variety selections. And then we take them to our farmers, our Pratham farmers, and get them grown and then commercialized and marketed through Mountain View and its uh, partners like a Herald's. Probably one uh, real quick, kind of one unique thing about Pratham and Mountain View versus maybe the rest of the industry is this, that vertical integration. So, uh, you know, from the from the research, from the genetics, if you will, the development of new products to farmers that grow it. And then also we have with that, we have our own processing plants, our seed cleaning plants. Um, today, we operate three of them. Each plant has multiple cleaning lines. And again, that's a unique kind of vertical integration step. Um, you see a lot of it in our industry, a lot of stuff gets outsourced. Uh, one of the keys for Mountain View since 1998, since the very beginning, was quality. Um, our, we just push quality very, very hard and feel that if we can do that all in-house, we can control that quality better. We, we really you know, can take what you guys need, what your customers need, and drive that down through our business to make sure that each each step along that way because it's whether it's the genetics whether it's the farmer's crop whether it's the actual cleaning process the bagging process that's all very very important to that end user and the quality that the end user gets so that's that's probably in a nutshell that's really what differentiates us from a lot of the the rest of the industry we're also getting into the uh, the warm season market now and uh have another company well su- sub company called uh, mvp genetics Mountain View Performance Genetics, where we uh, are licensing warm season grasses, Bermuda grass, soja grass to start with, uh, and then uh, moving into other warm season species uh, that we're we're uh, we're licensing to sod producers. And so that's that's kind of the latest uh, thing that that we're getting into, and we're pretty excited about that. When you look at your vertical integration, the quality, what type of a difference in quality can your customers expect? Is that such as say you know, better seed germability, more consistent genetics within a, a bag of, of seed or, you know, what types of increases in quality uh, does your vertical integration provide your customer? Yeah, you hit on you hit on two things that we call mechanical, you know, the, um, the purities and the germ qualities, but then also the genetic quality, you know, to make sure that those rye grasses, for example, are, are true to type and that they don't get cross-contaminated with other genetics. So, those are two uh, major things. So with our organization, you know, at Mountain View, we have four, what we call four field staff. So they're out working with the farmers, putting out the seed contracts, but they're also evaluating all the fields throughout the year, um, which is, you know, that's a pretty good staff uh, for out here in, in the grass seed world. Um, but we also have 20 agronomists on the Pratham side, which are out selling fertilizers and chemicals to those same farmers. So we really have a lot of boots on the ground and that. That is both genetic and uh, mechanical qualities. You know, they're out scouting the fields for weeds or any other kind of uh, weedy grasses or what they may have out there. Um, So not to say that, you know, our farmers are necessarily better than anybody else's, but we know before it goes into a bag, we have a really good handle on what's going to be in that bag already. 
and to uh, make sure that you know in the pro market for example that those both genetics and the mechanical qualities are are what that end user is going to expect uh, we pride ourselves on that we we probably um we push harder than a lot of companies, um, but our growers, you know, we've been able to grow the business, which in turn allows us to produce more seed or those growers, farmers to produce more seed for us. Um, so that we've raised the bar, but they, they've accepted it and they, um, they appreciate growing with us because they're seeing the growth in our business as well. And that, you know, that allows us to be on some of the different venues around the world and, you know, here in the United States, some of the, the highest uh, facilities, if you will, the pros, uh, NFLs, and uh, Major League Soccer, Major League Baseball, um, because of that quality aspect. Aaron, this is Raymond. It, you used the term cleaning uh, when you were describing the, the quality component. Could you expand on that a little bit? What do you mean in term, by, by cleaning? Yeah, the, the seed cleaning or processing, as, you, as some people call it. Um, once it gets harvested, what they're doing right now out in Oregon, they're harvesting the crop and they're bringing it into our cleaning or processing plants. So it runs through a series of seed cleaning mills, um, you know, separating out higher germination or sorry, higher inerts um, in any of the little straws that might get through the combines in the, in the thrashing process. Um, if there are any weed seeds in there, separated out the you know by the different sizes and weeds. So poanya being really small versus tall fescue, a little bit bigger. So it separates those out, and um, at the end of the day, hopefully you end up with only the good stuff in the bag. Hey guys, this is Paul here. So I, I've got a question. So given that you guys are obviously vertically integrated, I like that term because I think it it really kind of showcases your involvement in the business from start to finish, right? Um, I'm curious with with the strides that have been made in cultivar breeding, particularly in the bent grasses uh, that we use in our industry, can you shed a little bit of light on, you know, how you guys go about variety selection, the, the, I guess the processes put into place in terms of uh, desirable traits and what are the key things that you guys are looking for when bringing a new bent grass to the market? I think a lot of golf course superintendents, they kind of only see the end result. They, they don't really know all that goes into it. So I think it's a, it'd be good to touch on that. Greg, you want to take a stab at that, or sure, sure, I'll I'll start and you you can finish this. So uh, with the bent grasses, so Paul, we have our own uh, breeding company that uh, that Aaron mentioned, Peak Plant Genetics, and and through that company, we we see uh, bluegrasses and fescues and ryegrasses and those sorts of things. Uh, but the leader of bent grass development is Rutgers University, and so we're working hand in hand with them on a lot of our breeding. Uh, they, they'll share material back and forth between our breeding company and the university. And uh, the goal is to come up with the best genetics that we possibly can. <clears throat> but Dr. Stacy Bonos has done such an incredible job with her breeding program over the decades um, that uh, I think currently there's just nobody in the world that can touch what she is developing. And, it, and it's her breeding, but it's also the staff of characters around her that are, are uh, helping the, with the process, whether it's testing for diseases or uh, looking at the genetics or whatever the case is. I think it's just a great program that they developed there. And uh, the, the bent grasses that they're coming up with are, are second to none. And and all the grass seed companies are buying from or licensing from Rutgers. They're just great grasses. And so, you know, she's done a great job of pushing things forward, selection after selection to come up with better and better uh, genetics. But the thing that, that we really 
want to see. So everybody wants a good looking grass, right? I mean, turf quality matters. <clears throat> if you don't, if you have a grass that does a whole bunch of other things, but is ugly, it's not going to sell. And so turf quality is still driving th- this whole bust. But, uh, you know, we're at a point now where the environment really matters. And so if we can find a grass that doesn't get as bad of disease pressure on it or, or, or just disease in general, regardless of the pressure, that's important to us. If we can have a grass that uh, can perform well with any sort of reduced inputs, that's important to us. We think that's probably where the the whole industry is moving uh, whether we'd like to see it or not, I mean, it's it's yeah. that's what's happening. And so, you know, if we can have everything, you know, the turf quality plus a grass that uh, doesn't need uh, a whole lot of inputs, man, that's that's what really matters to us. And so, uh, we're moving in that direction. These bent grasses, you know, Perona is probably our our best known creeping bent grass. And I wouldn't necessarily call it a low input creeping bentgrass, and I don't even know if you can say low input and creeping bentgrass in the same same sentence, really. <laughs> but uh, um, but you look at its disease tolerance compared to old grasses like Pencross, and it's and it's lights out, right? I mean, it's the the dollar spot and brown patch resistance of of these new grasses are so much better than what we saw 10, 20, 30 years ago. Yeah. And so that's really that's really important. And that's great to see that these breeders are really focusing on these kind of things that, that truly matter. Yeah, you really you kind of see that, um, you know, well, with any species, but every NTEP cycle, the genetics could just get better and better. And that better and better in the last you know couple of cycles is more related to disease tolerance. Um, you know, in general, we're seeing that, whether it's bent grasses, tall fescues, um, and we see that same thing with, with bent grass. That's kind of been the focus, more disease tolerance, um, you know, valor spot obviously being a big one. Um, but, uh, in the NTEP, you know, this, and it's not out yet, but they have a couple of low input studies. I think one's in Kansas and one's maybe in Illinois. Um, but that'll be, that's part of that NTEP, uh, trial data that's going to come out here in another year. So even, you know, as the NTEP, they're, they're looking at how do these perform? under a low maintenance obviously reduced inputs reduced chemical um, reduced water uh, how do these new bent grasses perform and so that's the breeding's kind of been geared towards that you know i think we we all recognize the society that we live in um, less less of those kind of inputs and um, so trying to develop the genetics that give you the the same kind of play and the same kind of look um, under those lower inputs sure you guys mentioned the intep trials can you expand a bit on the on the scope and number of sites and maybe the different environmental conditions that NTEP encompasses? Well, I on the bent grasses, I'm not entirely sure, but um, I don't know, Greg, you pulling that up. I think there's about 16, I want to say 16 different sites on for the bent grass. You know, it varies by species. Again, like perennial ryegrass might have closer to 30 different sites, but I think on the bent grasses, it was closer to maybe around 16 and largely yeah, 17. 17. Okay. And, and mostly those are focused, you know, where the population is, right. Where you might have one or two kind of in the West or in the Southwest, but the majority are going to be in the Midwest East and then transition mid Atlantic kind of areas. Um, and, you know, as Mountain View, we are, um, we support the NTEP very, very heavily. Um, it's the only really avenue to, to test your products, you know, on a, you know, across multiple sites like that, and also against the other commercial varieties that are out there. 
Um, you know, there's a lot of good, you know, Greg mentioned, we're starting up our own private research there with Greg in Missouri, but to get it across those sites and across those kind of uh, geographies, that's the end touch really the only way to do it. And to, to have a, a level playing field to really be able to test it out and see what kind of performance you get. So I'm curious with, with regard to the NTEP and the numerous sites, and this can, this is kind of a question that spans across different species and cultivars. What, what, as you guys keep your finger on the pulse of what's going on currently in the breeding world, um, what excites you the most? What do you think in terms of new technology, new cultivars, new traits, what, what gets you excited uh, and what we can see maybe in the next five to 10 years in the breeding world? Well, there's, um, like I said, you know, the big emphasis is put on um, disease and disease tolerance. Um, you know, the other thing that we don't talk a lot about on, with on the marketing side is the seed yield side of it, you know, because we've done that many times. We've gone out and produced this beautiful looking grass, but the, our farmers don't want to produce it because it doesn't yield enough seed per acre. And therefore, you can't pay them enough to, you know, to get it produced. Uh, P105 is a good example of bluegrass. If you guys were familiar with that variety of uh, Kentucky bluegrass, um, it had a great, a uh, lot of great attributes in the marketplace from sod strength and everything else. But because of its seed yield, it wasn't producible. In other words, for a farmer, they're looking at net income per acre kind of thing. Um, so those are two kind of key characteristics. Um, you know, we're continuing to expand um it really, again, that low input model—that's that's for us. We see a lot of um, a lot of benefit there, whether it's water requirements, reduced water requirements. Um, Greg, I don't know what else. So uh, you, the one thing that you you said there, the CDO to me, that's probably number one. But we don't really talk about that in the turf industry. I think uniqueness, though, is is really important. Something that's different than everybody else has, and so. Um, whatever that is, whether it's a different color, whether it's a slightly different growing ha growth habit, whatever, uh, that's something that, uh, that we're looking for. Just something that's different. Because uh, usually if it's a pretty grass, has a lot of things going for it, and it's different, that's something that people are interested in. So a lot of breeders are focusing on a lateral spread ryegrass. And, mm -hmm. you know, when I was in school, I learned ryegrass is a bunch type grass, right? It doesn't have any sort of lateral spreadability to it. And uh, so, you know, these breeders have focused on, can we do something to these grasses that are supposed to be just bunch type grasses and get them to actually spread? And, and what I think they've come up with, and I think if you talk to any university around the country, they'll agree with the statement that, you don't see these things spread like you would see a Kentucky bluegrass or a Bermuda grass spread. You see aggressive tillering. And so you're still filling divots faster than you would if it was just a traditional old bunch type grass. But these are the kind of things that our breeder at Peak Plant Genetics is looking for when he's when he's out identifying grasses. Is there a grass that stands out that like this that's unique that will spread faster, What even if it's not supposed to spread, whatever the case, um spread faster than the other grasses that it's it's being compared to and so that's a kind of a unique situation that uh, we're looking for when uh, when we're breeding these grasses so again I, I wouldn't call these things true stoloniferous or rhizomatous grasses right. you know but but they're but they're filling in quicker and so i think you can call them spreading grasses because of that and that's something that we're, you know, on our, you know, with Peak and with Rutgers and the other universities that we uh, collaborate with, 
always pushing, you know, these varieties or these species to do things they, they weren't really designed to do, whether it's spreading or the, the wear tolerance that comes out of that salt tolerant selections, you know, just pushing stuff, killing it, you know, pushing it as far as you can and taking those survivors. And maybe it's just, you know, a 1% survivability rate and using that as your foundation to, to start over again. So, um, you know, we're, we're doing that continuously uh, with peak pushing these as far as you can. This is Raymond. Is there any emphasis during the breeding process on um, heat tolerance and perhaps uh, utilizing the cool season grasses uh, in in different environments, perhaps further south? Because I think in our industry we're begin we we're watching the creeping of warm season grasses moving north and ultra dwarfs moving north. Is there any emphasis on perhaps pushing that boundary further south in in terms of the cool season grasses? Um, we have been, you know, as, as much as we can, um, you know, Greg's done obviously a lot of work at UK and with both warm and, and cold seasons. Um, I think we're seeing, you know, actually bluegrasses, uh, some of the newer genetics with some of their disease tolerance, uh, being able to, you know, you're starting to see the blue muda go further south than typically where bluegrasses had been used. But in general, I don't know, Greg, what your thoughts are, but in general, I would say, we're start. We're kind of seeing just that upward trend. You know, the, the warm seasons are moving further north. The cool seasons, you know, tall fescues moving further north. It used to be more of a transition play. We're seeing tall fescue move into bluegrass country, say Indiana, Wisconsin, those kind of markets, as they get better and better. So, in general, though, I, I would say it's more of a an upward, a northern trend. Everything's moving further north. So yeah, I agree, Aaron. I think it makes sense to try and grow Bermuda grass in the northern transition zone because of all the strengths of that grass for athletics, for, for golf. Bluegrass in the south doesn't always make sense to me. And, and it's a pretty grass, I think a prettier grass than, than a lot of the Bermudas that are out there. Uh, and it's stripes and all of that stuff that we like to see. But uh, the, the, the issue that I have with taking cool season grasses and really taking them out of their zone of adaptation is that you're going to have to increase the amount of inputs to keep them happy. And so more fungicides, more water, all of these th kind of things that we're trying to get away from when you take a plant from where it's supposed to be grown to someplace where it's not extremely happy. And so can you get away with it? Yeah, you can. You can. We're, we're seeing uh, our bluegrasses in, in uh, Alabama, Mississippi, Georgia, um, and, and uh, people are keeping them alive. But you know, does it, does it make complete sense? And that's, that's the thing that I struggle with a lot is, you know, yeah, you can do it, but should you do it? Well, I have to tell my wife, she's from New Jersey, then I guess we're sticking with St. Augustine in Lakeland, <laughs> Florida. There's, there's a lot to love about St. Augustine. <laughs> <laughs> what, one thing you guys noted is uh, you're talking about yield and and production and do you have any, um, there's a lot of discussion in the industry regarding uh, seed availability. Do you guys like to touch on that a little bit and provide a, some perspective to our listeners, uh, what they might expect this, this fall? Sure. Absolutely. That's a, that's kind of the, the hot topic right now. Um, literally, you know, if you guys have been following the news out in Oregon, um, you know, we've been having record kind of heat and, um, you know, thankfully that's subsided now, but I think in, in our town, we hit 117, which is, you know, I think eight degrees above the, the last record. So we're still trying to settle it all out and figure out what's going to be there because they're just getting into the harvest. 
but in general, the crop is going to be off. Um, inventories, as you guys know, as most people know, have already worked tight. You know, we had the oh, we had the we had COVID. We had the COVID effect, and I know that that caused a lot of hurt personally and in a lot of industries. You know, in the last twelve months, um, on the seed side of the business, it. You know, it really that whole stay at home, that consumer products piece, that retail piece, Lowe's, Home Depot, um, just boomed. You know, sales there were up just like in lumber or anything up significantly. So it just it sucked a lot of the inventory out. A lot of people have heard probably, you know, Scott's went out. Scott's was running out of inventory, the big Scott's Miracle Grill. So they went out and bought other professional seed companies just to get their inventory supplies. Um, so that took a lot of seed out of the professional market, drove it into that retail market. But even with that, we're, we're looking at a crop that's going to be off 20 to 25% probably. So we're looking at tight supplies for the, you know, going into next year. So for the next 12 to 14 months, um, I think we'll see pretty tight supplies again, um, which is, you know, driving prices obviously higher than than what we're used to, and so the you know the message there I would say is um, communicate with communicate with your suppliers you know, what your needs are try to forecast as best we can you know we're we're just like every other industry uh, logistics is a challenge finding the trucks and the you know to get stuff freighted around is is challenging so things are taking a little bit longer than normal the supplies are are tighter um, so communicate what your needs are and and be patient and um, try to pre-plan as best we can. Guys, I guess to wrap up today, uh, a lot of good information we've already covered, but just to wrap up today, in terms of your bent grasses that you do have available through Harrell's, maybe highlight what those are, different strengths, different weaknesses, and how those may be best used on, on a golf course. Sure, yeah. And again, Aaron, jump in um, if you can help me with uh, with what I'm saying here. So our, uh, we've got uh, three creeping bent grasses and one colonial. The, uh, the three creeping bent grasses that are available currently are piranha, barracuda, and shark. And then we've got musket colonial. Like I said before, piranha is probably the best known of our bent grasses. And it's, it's, it is that way because it led the NTEP. Uh, it was number one in both the putting green test and the fairway test. Uh, so for turf quality, it was it was the uh, highest uh, highest scoring grass overall for both of those. Um, so it's a pretty grass, but it's got a lot of the things that we've talked about. It's it's it was number one in uh, in brown patch tolerance. Um, it has ex- excellent dollar spot tolerance as well. And so you know we've we've got a grass that's pretty plus it can can take a beating uh, in terms of disease pressure. Uh, and then it was also either number one or tied for number one, I think, and I'm just talk, talking off the top of my head here, for uh, keeping POA annual out. So uh, it's it's competition against annual bluegrass. So if, if people are living in an area where that's a big issue, uh, you know, Piranha did exceptionally well against uh, annual bluegrass. So an excellent grass, I'd say maintenance-wise, it's not one of those where you're just going to put it on a, a extremely low budget facility and have it look excellent. But for the mid-level to high-level courses, and this is a grass that's going to do uh, really well for, for a lot of people. For most metrics in NTEP, Piranha did, you know, top scores, uh, you know, tied for the best, top group of statistics, that sort of thing. Did, did really well on, on most of the metrics. Uh, our next one, Barracuda, 
it did exceptionally well uh, also, but it was more like top third. Uh, so a good grass, but not maybe quite as elite as Piranha is. And so um, Barracuda, though, is one of those grasses that you can have at the high-level courses, you can have at the middle-level courses, and is going to do okay on those lower-budget uh, lower places as well. Uh, but it's got good disease tolerance again, uh, really good um, uh, seedling vigor. And so, you know, that's an important thing for, for getting established. And so I believe it was the number one overall uh, for uh, establishment. Um, but then, you know, just, just a, a, a good all around grass. Um, and then shark is the oldest in our creeping bank grass collection. It was actually tested first in 2004 and was the number one bank grass in that trial. But as Aaron mentioned a little while ago, we see better and better varieties every time a new uh, cycle is, is, uh, is selected and, and released. And so just like with that shark was as good as they came 10, 15 years ago, but now it's, it's back down the, uh, the middle of the pack, I would say. So still a great grass, but it's, it's going to do really well with the, uh, thrives under reduced inputs. It can do just fine at higher level places as well. But, uh, this is a, this is a grass that I would say is a good utility bank grass that, uh, um, has an awful lot going for it and did exceptionally well in North Dakota, and so for cold tolerance, that sort of thing, it, uh, it's a good uh, option for uh, up north. Uh, but all three grasses are really good, different uh, strengths and weaknesses. Um, and so blending these grasses up, there's a lot to say about that as well. And uh, I know Harold's is, uh, is blending. Um, and, uh, you know, where Piranha is exceptionally strong, where barracuda may not be as strong or shark may not be as strong. We're getting the the good parts of these grasses to come out in this blend. And uh, I think people will be really happy with what they're seeing uh, with this blend. Another comment on that is people ask, are the new bents extremely dense? And yes, they're dense. And you know, you want high density because that's gonna help keep out weeds, uh, gonna be good for putting and ball roll and that sort of thing. But, uh, you don't want such crazy density where you're having issues with thatch and, and uh, that sort of thing. And so we had that with a few varieties 20 or so years ago, and, and people have gotten away from that. But the density that we see in shark is very similar to that of piranha and barracuda. And so you're not going to have a hodgepodge of a grass like pencross. And I'm not knocking pencross. It's just, you know, it's an old grass that segregated out. We've got three grasses that are very similar in this blend that uh, uh, will will play well together and, and uh, perform well and look similar because of their similar density. Anything to add on that, Aaron? Um, well, I was just going to say in a couple other things just to uh, that we are working on that are exciting and in the pipeline. So we've got um, three other products. We've got a, a product out of, uh, it's called AU Victory out of Auburn. So it's going to bent grass out of their program. So obviously bred for the South. Um, we'll be looking to commercialize that in the next year. So we've got very, very limited stocks, but we're just getting that up and ramped up, but uh, exciting one for us. And we're also, we've got a USGA Rutgers partnership with uh, two two new products called Piper and Oakley uh, creeping bent grass, 
And that's um, a project that we've done, that we've worked together with USGA and Rutgers on to develop those varieties and bring those to the marketplace. So we actually will have just a limited amount of seed this fall of those two. But again, those are, you know, the the latest, will be the latest generation. So um, we're looking forward to, you know, again, increased disease tolerance, um, reduce inputs, all the things we've been talking about. But pretty excited to be working with the USGA and um, commercializing those products. Great names, by the way. Piper and Oakley. Love it. Hey, I'll, I'll just add on there. You mentioned the blend of the Piranha Barracuda and Shark through Harold's. That is our trifecta blend just for our, our listeners' purposes here. But, well, guys, I appreciate your time. Um, Raymond, Paul, anything else from you guys? Any other questions? Good for me. I appreciate the info, insight, guys. Really helpful. Yeah. Let me let me throw one, one more thing out there, Jeff. So, you know, a lot of great grass companies out there, a lot of good varieties out there that are being sold. Um, <clears throat> when you're looking for a grass variety, look for the data behind it. That's that's the thing that, uh, as a researcher, you know, as, as you all know, is so critical. What are the numbers saying about the grass? And so if, if the data doesn't exist, question that. You know, marketing's fine, but if it's smoke and mirrors behind the marketing, you know, question what's going on there. So look for uh, actual data on a product. And to that point, where could someone go and find data on Mountain View Seeds, bent grass varieties? What's the best source for them to find that information? Well, so, yeah, the easiest is the NTEP trials um, and then to the source at Rutgers where they do, you know, all sorts of testing before these varieties ever go to NTEP. Um, so, so a place like that. We're also doing trials around the country with with different uh, universities with these grasses. Uh, for instance, we've got one in with the University of Minnesota, uh, comparing against everybody's grasses uh, because we, we want to know. We want to know if our grasses are going to perform well in different locations or not, or if there's somebody that has something that's that looks better than ours. We want to know that, and so you know, if, if there's a trial that we can go into, we want to know. We want to have the data. Even if it doesn't uh, look great for a, a certain variety of ours, we want to know. We need to know that rather than just pushing out, yeah, go buy our products because we tell you they're good. Good stuff. That's great information. Well, I appreciate you guys joining us. Appreciate the partnership. Appreciate all the research you guys are investing in. That certainly aligns with you know, how we like to go about our business in terms of having data-backed products. So that certainly is a value to us and it's a value to our customers. So appreciate your time today, guys. Yeah, appreciate you guys and look forward to seeing you again in the not-too-distant future. That wraps up our interview with Aaron Kinsey and Dr. Greg Munchall of Mountain View Seeds. Turf Dudes exist to communicate important research findings and turf management trends to turfgrass managers as part of Harold's effort to grow a better world. If you enjoy the show, we want to hear from you. If you have a topic you'd like for us to address or a person you'd like to hear from, please send it to us at turfdudes at heralds.com. That's T-U-R-P-H. D-U-D-E-S at heralds.com. While you're at it, please subscribe to our show on iTunes, YouTube Music, or SoundCloud. We'll see you next time.